This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Pittsburgh Steelers lost their home opener this past Sunday, sealing their 89th straight season without going undefeated. Only five NFL franchises have a longer streak of losing at least one game. Yes, that is me telling you to settle down and find some perspective after a disappointing Steelers loss. It is, after all, a long season. At this point, the Steelers could still win the Super Bowl, or they could lose 16 games There's a lot more of this story to write. But that doesn't mean there isn't anything to talk about. Today, we're going to talk about what went wrong against the the Las Vegas Raiders. From the Steelers' defense, to the run game, to Ben Roethlisberger. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. Welcome to the Cutting Room Floor. We're going to start with what we saw this weekend... And before we dig in too much, I just want to say that now it's time for a little braggadocio while I wave my arms like Ralph Macchio. Uh, My keys to this game heading into week two. I gave an X factor for the Raiders. Uh, I was with Marky D on the Steelers' touch down under. In that show, I called out Henry Ruggs III as being a potential game-changing player. Because with the Steelers paying attention to Darren Waller, Ruggs was that guy that could break a huge play and break open what I expected to be a largely a close-scored defensive battle. Well, yeah, that kind of happened. That kind of happened. with uh, The Steelers don't have a ton of speed in the secondary. Terrell Edmonds is their fastest defensive back. So if you get isolation on the outside, and I believe the play that uh, Ruggs broke for a 61-yard touchdown, he he was on, Akella Witherspoon was on him. Uh, Again, I I predicted that before I knew Joe Hayden was going to be out for the game. Uh, But they got got Henry Ruggs a third on our number four defensive back, which really, really, he's our number six. Uh, we were just missing our one of our top guys, and we were sat James. We sat uh, Justin Lane. Sorry, lost his name for a second. We sat Justin Lane for a bit, and boom, sixty-one yard touchdown that really broke that game open. So I kind of called that one. Not that I'm happy about that. Uh, one of my other main keys to this game was the Steelers winning the interior line battle. Uh, I made that my key of the game because watching the the Ravens-Raiders games, what stood out to me is that while Derek Carr was getting pressured around the edge quite a bit, second half of the game, he starts being able to step up into a clean pocket. And when Derek Carr can step up into a clean pocket, he's a really good quarterback. When you put people in his face, he's not nearly as good. 
So Carr against the Steelers, one of my things was we gotta we gotta keep guys in his face so he can't step up into the pocket so that the pressure from the edges can get to him. Well, TJ Wise was absolutely crushing it when he was in this game. He was playing phenomenally. He was doing a fantastic job. And for those snaps, the longest pass play with Watt on the field was 17 yards. And there wasn't a single deep attempt, a deep throw attempt by Derek Carr with T.J. Watt on the field. Through the point T.J. Watt got injured, there was not a single deep pass thrown by Derek Carr. When T.J. Watt left the field, the very first play after T.J. Watt left the field with his injury was a 25-yard pass to second tight end Foster Moreau. It went worse from there. By the end of the game, Derek Carr had thrown eight deep passes, connected on five of them for 164 yards and a touchdown. The reason he was able to do that is because with T.J. Watt gone and simply Cam Hayward in there, being the only real big-time threat, the Raiders were able to give Derek Carr a clean pocket. And he was able to look downfield, see what was happening, and make take, take shots. Take good shots downfield, step into his throws, make throws without being hit. They won the game. The, the moral of that story is, is even with Stefan Tuit out, even with Bud Dupree gone, and Alex Highsmith is a good player, but we've seen he's he's struggling this season a bit with this step up in responsibility and the step up in attention in attention that he's gotten. He's not getting sacks. He doesn't even have a QB hit yet this season. But even with him there with TJ with uh Stefan Tuit out, TJ Watt and Cameron Hayward are a lot to deal with. And Watt, Hayward, and a supporting staff of Chris Wormley, Alex Highsmith, Marvin Ingram, and Melvin Ingram is playing really well. But he's not T.J. Watt. He's not Cameron Hayward. He's not on their level. Hayward, Watt, and supporting staff is a lot to deal with. Just Cam Hayward and supporting staff was not too much for a banged-up Raiders offensive line. They were able to shift the pocket to count for Hayward Hayward's penetration. And really, the offensive line just had to steer Cameron Hayward to one side of the pocket and let Derek Watt go the other way. Well, when Cameron Hayward can say, okay, you know, I'm going to rush, I'm going to penetrate, and I'm going to go to, you know, to the right side. From the defensive perspective, I'm going to rush to the right side of the pocket and cause havoc there. Well, you have TJ Watt on the left. Like, you, you can't just be like, okay, I'll take a step to the left. No, you're taking a step towards TJ Watt. You're taking a step towards getting lit up. You're taking a step towards a fumble. You know, you are taking a step towards a big defensive play. You can't do it. With just Hayward, you're able to step outside. That was a huge problem for the Ravens. That's a big reason the Ravens lost, is they were not able to contain Derek Carr. They were, they were not able to crash his pocket. They were not able to put people around his legs, bodies around his legs, people in his face, hands, and, you know, threatening to swat the football away. They weren't able to do that, and the Raiders came back on him with Carr throwing deep downfield. 
the Steelers, despite the success they had defending Darren Waller, like I said before, they're they're one of the best at defending tight ends in the National Football League the last three seasons since they uh, drafted Devin Bush, brought in uh, Terrell Austin, and brought in uh, Minka Fitzpatrick. They've been one of the best. They did it again. That was different. But it didn't matter because in the end, when they could not disrupt Derek Carr's pocket, Derek Carr was able to throw downfield. Five of eight for 164 yards and a touchdown. You're not going to win a game when you give that up to the opposing quarterback and your offense isn't scoring. That's a shootout. If you're giving up deep passes like that, that's a shootout. That's over 20 yards per attempt on deep balls. You don't even want to know what the Steelers put up on those numbers. It was it was awful. Talking about Darren Waller, I put this clip up on Twitter because CBS, right as it came back from the half, I was watching, I was just like, yes, oh my goodness, thank you CBS because I don't have all 22 film yet, which is, is awful and stupid. Um, but CBS puts up the all 22 film and they show how the Steelers are bracketing Darren Waller, putting a linebacker on him with a safety back behind him and they're bracketing Darren Waller and shutting him down. I put that on my Twitter, which is at Fantaskippy, P-H-A-N-T-A-S-K-I-P-P-Y, at Twitter, on Twitter. Um, I put it out there because that's the same bracketing strategy we use when our linebackers get matched up on wide receivers in the slot. It's the same thing we do. We do it a lot. It works really well. You get burned doing that a couple of times a season. I mean, really, like three or four times a season, they got burned by that in 2020, notably in the playoff game. And they put it on there like, look at this, Keith Butler putting linebackers on wide receiver. He's the worst defense coordinator ever. Yeah, you get beat with that a couple of times. The fact that people don't see it all the time and don't complain about it every single week is because it works. You will not hear people complaining. How could Keith Butler put a linebacker on Darren Waller? You know why? Because it worked. He did it all game. He did like 60-70% of the game. Darren Waller was being covered by a linebacker. And you won't hear people complaining about it. Because it worked. The whole game. Just like it works most of the time. Those few times it doesn't, it looks terrible. And you get a huge reaction to it. Moral of the story there is, you know what? Be more knowledgeable. That's 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 the thing. No more. When you know more, you can you can react better. That is uh that's one of my purposes of this show is that I can sit here and talk to you and say, hey, you know this is what you're hearing. This is why it may not be right. <sighs> yeah, Steelers not not the best game. Not the best game there on special teams. Special teams were solid again in this week. The big, the big deal, um, the big deal is the injuries, man. The big deal is the injuries. I want you to go back to the steel curtain and think of their six best players on defense. I'm, I'm doing this off the top of my head. For all I know, I will forget somebody, and I'm sorry if I do. That's, you know, you can absolutely murder me in comments or on Twitter. Um, let's go top six players on the uh, on the steel curtain. I'm going to go Mean Joe Green, Jack Lambert, Jack Ham, uh, Mel Blunt. Donnie Shell and Elsie Greenwood, right? Take four of those guys off the field. Take four of them. Leave Mean Joe. He's the you know. Let's leave Mean Joe. He's their Cam Hayward. Let's take Elsie Greenwood. 
Let's take Mel Blunt. Let's take uh, Jack Lambert and Jack Ham. How good is that defense? You know, how, how good is that defense going to be? Well, guess what? That's what the Steelers are facing right now. Let's go to the Steelers' top six defensive players. I'm going to go uh, Cam Hayward, TJ Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, Joe Hayden, Devin Bush, Stefan Tuitt. Those are my top six. They're not in order. None of these are in order. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not tearing this out. I'm just doing this off the top of my head, just trying to think of the best players. We were down TJ Watt, Stefan Tuitt, Joe Hayden, and Devin Bush. We had Cam Hayward and Minka Fitzpatrick. That's not a great defense. Those are two great players on a not good defense. That's what we had this week. The bigger deal than what the defense couldn't do, because by the end of the game, they weren't putting pressure on on Derek Carr. They weren't being able to cover people. And by the very end of the game, the defensive line was worn out, and they couldn't even defend the run game. The Steelers took five defensive linemen into this game and lost Tyson Alualu after four snaps. They played all but four snaps with four defensive linemen. And they played more 3-4 than they did in the past, in in week one. There were plays where the Raiders went out with two tight end sets. There were plays where the Raiders went out with a tight end and a fullback, and the Steelers counted with nickel. Because their defensive line was in a bad shape. I mean, if you go three defensive linemen there, you've got Cam Hayward, Chris Wormley, and Isaiah Bugs. And if one of those guys needs a break, you're at Isaiah Loudermilk, the rookie, who was a scratch last week. Steelers have Henry Mondo to call up. I was frankly really surprised when I saw that they didn't call him up at all against the Raiders, a team that goes heavily two tight ends, uses a fullback a lot. And the Steelers just said, hey, you know what? We're going to treat Darren Waller as a receiver, and we're going to go nickel and give him credit. They were able to stop the run. It wasn't a bad strategy. I just think carrying five defensive linemen into a game like that can burn you, and it did when Tyson Alualu went down and they had one sub for the rest of the game in their 3-4 packages, which they ran to over 20% of the time. They ran around roughly 20% of the time they're in 3-4, and they've got four total defensive linemen. They've got three out there. That's not good. That's not a rotation. That's not keeping guys fresh. That's asking guys who really should be small rotation players to carry bigger roles. That's one of our starting defensive line. If our three starting defensive linemen are are Tuit, Hayward, and Alu Alu, and we had one of them out there, that's not not a good option when you don't have much depth to rotate. We're going to end the first half of the show there. We've talked about the defense. We've covered the special teams. we talked about uh, that side of the game. When we come back in the second half, we're going to talk about the offense, and we're specifically going to talk about Ben Roethlisberger. And we're going to, we're going to dig into some questions that I have been avoiding for a year. And I'm really going to talk about them this time. I, I think it's time. So... We'll take a short break here, and I'll see you on the next half.
Welcome back, Steeler fans. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. This is the Cutting Room Floor. Cutting Room Floor is brought to you by the Behind the Steel Curtain family of podcasts. Each of my previous shows, I've been talking about a podcast that I found particularly interesting that past week. This week, I'm going to talk to you about Dave Schofield and the Steeler Stat Geek. Steeler Stat Geek runs every Thursday. And it's Dave Schofield's chance to bring you talk to you about statistics that he finds interesting or relevant for the upcoming week's game. And I'm not talking about, like, you know, how many yards did this team run for? How many yards did their quarterback throw for? What's the quarterback right? Not, not just simple stats. He'll, he'll cover that stuff. But he looks for, very, for more interesting and, and, and stats that will tell you more about what to expect in the, in the game. Uh, for example, this past Thursday, if you listen to Dave's show, he told you about the different personnel groupings the Raiders use compared to the Bills. Now, the Bills use tons of wide receivers, and the Raiders mostly just used two in, the, in week one, in their week one game. And he talked about how that would impact the Steelers' defense and how they would need to defend the Raiders and how different their game plan would need to be between the Raiders and the Bills. Like This, this is a kind of... the information you can get from Dave Schofield's Stat Geek. The kind of information that, that I really like because one of the points of this show, The Cutting Room Floor, is to make my listeners more informed as fans and more informed when they watch the Pittsburgh Steelers play. I want to let them know not just what happened, but just what happened in the game before, but, but kind of give them the ability to watch the game more intelligently and be a more informed fan. And that's, that's what Dave Schofield does on the Steelers Stat Geek. So check that out this Thursday and be a more informed viewer for Week 3 Steelers. In the second half of our show here, we're going to talk about the Steelers' offense in this game. Uh, if, if the Steelers' offense could be summed up in one word, it would probably be offensive. Uh, that was a joke. Hope you enjoyed it. The uh, Steelers scored 17 points against the Las Vegas Raiders. I get that wrong too much. Uh, They scored 16 against the Bills. Now, the team scored 23 points because they had the the blocked punt for a touchdown. But the offense only scored 16. So in the first two weeks, the Steelers have scored 33 points on offense. If you were to sit there and say – through two weeks, an NFL team in the current modern-day NFL, where teams average well over 20 points a game, if you were to say a team scored 33 points in their first two games, you'd probably say, you know what, that team's lucky if they won a game. If they won a game, they're fortunate. They're probably 2-0. and and it's, They're probably 0-2. And it's very, very unlikely they could possibly be 2-0, and scoring 33 points. So while we've covered the defense and the lapses the defense had, mostly due to injuries, in my opinion, um, the offense was a problem. Because while the defense was down, four of their top six players and several other important key figures, the offense missed exactly 11 snaps from Trey Turner, and they had everybody else. Everybody else was there, and yet the offense wasn't very good. So let's talk about that offense. Fun times. We start with Najee Harris in the run game. Najee Harris carried the ball 10 times for 38 yards. That's 3.8 yards a carry. That's not good. It's about what we got last year. 
That's what we were getting for running backs last year. We brought in Najee to be better than that. And he's and we're not. The run game isn't. Uh, behind him, Juju Smith-Schuster had a touchdown run of three yards off a jet sweep right near the goal line. It was a very nice, very nicely drawn up and executed play. Benny Snell had two carries for a grand total of one yard. And Chase Claypool had an end around that was tackled for a loss for a negative three yards. So outside of Najee Harris, you had Juju Smith-Schuster with one run for three yards and a touchdown. And then you had Chase Claypool and Benny Snell combined for three carries and negative two yards. Not very good. What that tells you is maybe Najee's better than 3.8 yards per carry. Maybe there's a problem elsewhere. And there's, there's two problems with the Steelers' run game that I identified. One is execution from the offensive line. And it's not atrocious. I don't want to go there. It's not atrocious. What we're seeing is an offensive line where players are either getting beat or messing up their assignment. Like, one a play. Right? But there's five of them. And if they're messing up occasionally, you, you end up with, I would estimate, 70% of the Steelers' run plays involve one error or failure from an offensive line blocker, either missing their assignment, uh, not executing well enough, like not getting off a combo block to get to that linebacker that they need to get to, or just getting beat by a defender. Now we've seen Najee Harris in the backfield make one, make even two defenders miss before he gets tackled or make a defender miss and gain a few yards before he gets tackled. So those are not play killers, Right, Those are not necessarily play killers when you have one guy mess up. But what that means is the running back has to beat that guy and then continue the play. It means that instead of a wide open run lane, there's a guy there that he has to deal with to slow him down, to make him cut outside, to make him you know, make a spin move, something like that, that's going to slow down the play and allow other players to get to him or other people to get off blocks to get to him. That compounds with another problem the Steelers have had, which is having been outnumbered in the box. Now, most, most NFL advanced stats places will give you like uh, average number of players in the box or number of runs against an eight-man box. Well, that's not the best, that's not the best sign of, of how much the defense is stacking the, run, the box. For example, if I have one wide receiver, two tight ends, a fullback, right? A running back and a quarterback, five offensive linemen, 11 players. But the key is two tight ends in the box and a fullback. I've got three extra blockers in the box. So I've got five offensive linemen and two tight ends and a fullback in the box. That's eight blockers with one runner, the running back. The quarterback, obviously, on offense doesn't count because unless he's like Lamar Jackson and he's actually running the ball, Ben Rossenberger doesn't count as a blocker. So you've got eight blockers and a runner. Well, if the defense has two deep safeties, one cornerback out on that wide receiver that we have out there, and the rest of the players in the box, that's eight players in the box. You've got eight players in the box, and I've got eight blockers. If we nail our blocks, all of us, all eight players, all eight blockers nail their blocks, that running back is running free until those safeties come and get him. Now, if I do three wide receivers, and they put one cornerback on each receiver, and I've got one tight end and one running back, I've only got six blockers. Once I hand to the running back, there's the tight end and five offensive linemen as blockers. I've got six. Now, if the defense has three cornerbacks, and they go single high safety, one safety, one deep safety, that's only four. They've got seven guys in the box. 
And if they put those seven guys in the box, I've only got six. That doesn't count for like, oh, how many runs against an eight-man box? No, it doesn't count for that because there was only seven in the box. But the defense has plus one. They have a numbers advantage. They have one more player than the offense does. And in those circumstances, now the scheme of the run play has to negate one of the one of the defenders or the running back has to make that guy miss. And now if you get a defender free from their blocker, right? Your offensive lineman messes up his block and that defensive tackle gets a little bit free, gets a hand on Najee, and Najee has to spin off of that and change his lane and go outside. That seventh defender, that plus one defender, may not be accounted for now. Because oftentimes it's like, okay, we take the guy farthest to the left, we're running to the right, so the defender farthest to the left in the box will leave unblocked. And we'll hope that the traffic and the distance and how fast we hit the hole means that he doesn't get to Najee Harris before Najee Harris gets yards, right? Or gets through that hole. Well, now if Najee Harris is slowed in that hole or has to make a move, that's bought that seventh defender time to get there. And that's what we're seeing more than anything else is any mess up at all by the offensive line means Najee is toast because they had, the defense has plus one in the box. Now, that's what I really want to cover for this section is why we are seeing so much single high safety. Every defense wants to play single high safety so they can put an extra defender in the box. Everybody wants to do that. The Steelers want to do it. Why are teams able to do that against the Pittsburgh Steelers when they weren't before? The reason they weren't before, and this goes into this goes into one of my, my big things I talk about with Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger and a deep threat, right? Were a great combination for years. Always had great stuff. Martavis Bryant, Mike Wallace, uh, Sammy freaking Coates, right? When they had those guys, the offense rolled. In fact, I used to bring this up, the statistical correlation to the Steelers offense scoring lots of points and Ben Roethlisberger having really efficient passing, like yards per attempt, touchdowns, interception ratio, correlated more to whether the Steelers had a Martavis Bryant or Sammy Coates catching the ball than if they had Antonio Brown on the field. And that's crazy, and people would tell me I'm crazy. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of crazy. But in the end, a wide, I want you to consider it this way when you say I'm crazy, because you should. Uh, a wide receiver, in the end, is a tool in the hands of a quarterback. Right? They are just a tool that the quarterback has to use. So if you have a Randy Moss, right, and you send him to Oakland where the quarterback can't throw deep, he's not going to be that good. He's not. Look at Mike Wallace. When Mike Wallace left Pittsburgh, he wasn't as good. Why? Because the first place he went, the guy didn't have the deep ball that Ben Roethlisberger had. Look at DeAndre Hopkins before they drafted Deshaun Watson. The year before they drafted Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins had nothing for stats. It wasn't because he wasn't good that season because their quarterback stunk. Remember the games Antonio Brown played when Ben didn't play. Remember Juju with Devlin Hodges. When Devlin Hodges and Juju Smith-Schuster couldn't put together like anything. They couldn't get anything going. Juju was our leading receiver with Ben. Our leading receiver with Mason Rudolph in 2019. With Devlin Hodges, he couldn't do anything. Whereas James Washington with Devlin Hodges was our number one receiver. With any other quarterback, Washington's number four. Like this is this is just, you know, give, get the idea. Quarterback is so important for a wide receiver. Wide receivers that fit a quarterback's strength. And when we're talking Ben Roethlisberger, that means a deep threat guy. And let me tell you why real quick here. Single high safety, right? Man cover on the outside. If that guy's Martavis Bryant, that cover corner plays him straight up. If he beats that corner, that single high safety has to get over 
to the sideline to defend that route. If the guy takes inside leverage, Martavis Bryant is going out to the sideline. His job is to just run his route physically enough that there's enough space to the sideline that Ben can throw it. You know, you got the defender on his inside shoulder. Ben leads him outside, has enough space to the sideline to lead him there. When he sees the ball going there, boom, he cuts outside a bit and the defender is straight up behind him. When he turns to his right, defender's on his left side, defender's behind him, angle that over, make that catch, big game. If that defender takes outside leverage and you went, or you went inside, right? You win that route to the inside. Now you don't throw the sideline. Now you have to throw the middle, which means the single high safety is a bigger threat. Ben Roethlisberger's best ability. Remember those pump fakes? Remember they say, oh, he holds the safety. Because he would look like Antonio Brown's side. And that safety would start cheating towards Antonio Brown because that's Antonio Brown. Or he'd pump fake to hold that safety there and then turn and rifle that ball to Martavis Bryant, who is inside the cornerback. Therefore, the cornerback isn't between Martavis and the quarterback. He doesn't have to lob it over him. He can throw a a laser right to him. And that safety being held in the middle of the field means he doesn't have time to get over there. The Steelers used to absolutely torch single high safeties if they didn't cheat to that deep threat side. And if you did cheat to that side, now you've got, who's, who's helping with Antonio Brown? And that's the basis of those Steelers offenses. More, and that's why it correlates more to that deep threat, because if that deep threat's not out there, now you can go single high safety, load the box to try and deal with Le'Veon Bell, and give Antonio Brown's defender help. When you had that deep threat, you couldn't, because Ben Roethlisberger was so good on those deep routes against single high safety. So teams played two deep. They played three deep safeties just to deal with Ben Roethlisberger and that deep threat wide receiver. But now... We're seeing Ben Roethlisberger in 2019. We saw it a bit in 2018. We saw teams able to play single high safety, especially in 2019. We saw teams play single high safety and get away with it. Early in 2020, we saw it. And the Steelers went out and drafted Chase Claypool. I'm going to say Chase Claypool is the best pure deep threat we've had since Mike Wallace. I think Claypool actually is a more well-rounded wide receiver and, and... should be a better receiver than Mike Wallace. And I think he is talent-wise. And when you watch him play, I think he is that guy. He's better than Mike Wallace. And yet, teams aren't putting two deep safeties. They're not afraid to go single high safety against the Steelers team. And there was a play in this game that stood out to me. If you remember, Chase Claypool in the end zone, reaching back up over the defensive back, trying to catch a ball. Got hands on it, but as he's coming down, he doesn't really have it well secured, and the defensive back has his hands in there and is able to swat it away. You hear a lot of, man, Chase Claypool's got to be the guy who can bring that ball down. But when you watch that play, and this is a play I put up on my, my Twitter feed. It's at Fantaskippy. Uh, talked about, I, I gave you that in the first half, but it's also on my Twitter feed, this one. If you look at it, there's no deep help at all. The cornerback has outside leverage, right? And there's no one in the middle of the field. The two other deep defenders are both on other receivers, and they're nowhere near the ball. They're nowhere near Chase Claypool. And Ben Roethlisberger seeing Chase Claypool running up the sideline inside of the defensive back. The defensive back has outside leverage on Chase Claypool, throws it outside. Ben Roethlisberger throws it into the coverage into the defender's leverage, meaning Chase Claypool has to physically position himself against this cornerback and jump up over the cornerback to bring the ball in. If Ben Roethlisberger had placed that ball inside, 
Chase Claypool's walking into that end zone with a touchdown like Mike Wallace, Martavis Bryant, Sammy Coates, A.B. All these guys used to do, Juju did it a couple times in 2017. They'd run those routes and Ben would hit them between the safety and the corner. What we're seeing this year and what we saw last year is Ben Roethlisberger is not willing to take those shots. When the cornerback has is outside and his receiver is inside of him going up the field and there's that single deep safety or in that play, wow, when there wasn't a single deep safety, there was no deep help, he doesn't take those shots. He hasn't been taking those shots very much. I don't know if he's. It's, it's a matter of he doesn't trust his arm. I don't know if it's a matter of he's not seeing it well. I mean, he's 39. We know his skills have diminished. We know he's not the same quarterback he was even in 2017 with an arm injury, time off, and he's older. One of the ways that's showing up is Ben Roethlisberger not taking those shots. There was a, a thing on uh, NFL's next-gen stats where they showed the passing charts, and Ben Roethlisberger had zero throws to the deep middle. Zero. And he hasn't had many the last two seasons. And people are saying, why? What's wrong with the offense? What are they doing? Why aren't they throwing deep? And some people are saying, that's ah, because Ben Roethlisberger can't throw a ball more than 17 inches. Well, the, the truth of it is teams are playing single deep safety, and Ben Roethlisberger is not willing to test that deep safety. That's it. I don't, I, for all I know, this could be he's emotionally scarred from having Minka in practice be that single deep safety and being like, man, no, I don't, it doesn't matter. I don't care if that guy's open. I can't throw it. I can't throw it near Minka. But even when they don't have good safeties, other teams don't have good safeties, we need to see him throw those. Because until Ben Roethlisberger shows that he can hit those deep balls, when the safety is back and the cornerback has outside leverage, until he's willing to test those and beat those safeties and make those throws downfield, we're not going to see two deep safeties very often. We're not going to see, because of that, a box where we have the same number of defenders as blockers. We're not going to see the run game take off. We're not going to see the underneath routes open up like they did for Antonio Brown, Jesse James, all those guys, right? When we had those deep threats, even though we have Chase Claypool, one of the better deep threats we've had, we won't see that until Ben Roethlisberger is taking those throws, making them pay for doing single high safety coverage, and beating the defense and forcing them to put multiple safeties back there. And the big question is, can Ben Roethlisberger still be that guy? Or is that era gone? Because if that era is gone, then we are seeing the swan song of a quarterback who really, for this offense to get going, they're going to need to be able to take a single high safety look with defenders with plus one in the box and have an offensive line that just executes the run perfectly 95% of the time so that Najee Harris can make yards. That's it. Sometimes football is that simple. If you can't beat them deep, you're going to have to do it like we did it with with rookie Ben Roethlisberger and Jerome Bettis, where they said, you know, this quarterback's not that good at throwing the ball, but we've got to put plus one or even plus two defenders in the box. And that Steelers team would still run on them. But they were that good. They were that good at executing on the offensive line. Their blockers were that good, and you know Jerome Bettis and Deuce Staley were making them pay. And then Willie Parker would shoot through those gaps, and boom, big gains. 
because the blocking was perfect. Well, the blocking's not perfect right now. Either the blocking has got to become perfect in their execution, or Ben Roethlisberger has to force defenses to stop going single high safety against our three wide receiver sets. One of those two has to happen, or this Steelers offense is going to be stuck where it is. And we're going to be watching this season saying, can the defense just be so incredible that it doesn't matter how bad the offense is? That's the question, ladies and gentlemen. That's what to watch for in the next game. Hopefully, hopefully, in my mind, hopefully Ben Roethlisberger gets it warmed up, gets it going, starts making those throws, starts beating those de- those safeties, making teams put two safeties back. The offensive line gets together, and we see Najee Harris running wild like Le'Veon Bell was doing. And we see the passing game come together because they've got to back off. If that happens, man, we're going to be a heck of a team. But it has to happen. Or this season's just going to be another one we look at and say, wow, what you know, what went wrong? And the Steelers will have to find a new quarterback after this year. So that's our show for today. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Have a great week and go Steelers. <laughs>